Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome back to you too. And uh, our apologies to those who like to listen to us every week. We've not been here. Um, We've been busy. Yeah, there, both Stephen and I have a lot of things that have been going on. Um, and uh, uh, mostly good things, I would mostly. say. Sure, um, mostly good. And uh, that has just made it difficult for us to, to find the time and the energy. It, it's called making a living because, you know, the podcast doesn't pay us uh, what, we, what we hoped. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it. Um, well, we've never charged for it. We've never tried to monetize it, as, as the kids say. So, uh, no, we do this for, for our own uh, mental health and edification. That's about it. And if you get something out of it listening, good, even better. Um, Let's, we're going to talk today about the Ontario election, because um, that's coming up the, the, you know, on the day we're recording this, the 30th of May. It's coming up in a few days. Um, Although you'd never know it. <laughs> no, you'd never know. And we'll talk about that. Uh, liberals introducing new uh, gun control legislation. And first, um, this afternoon in the House of Commons, the Conservatives put forward a motion. They wanted to have the travel restrictions, the vaccination uh, mandates, dropped on uh, travel in and out of Canada. And the conserv- uh, Liberals and the NDP teamed up and uh, they did not let that motion pass. And I'm wondering at this point in time, why? Is it just because it was a conservative motion? Well, you know, we're, we're not through COVID yet. I know everyone's acting like we are. Uh, you know, masks are now optional. It's now you go through this little little pantomime now when you go into a place. I mean, I'm still a mask wearer, uh, not because I'm particularly vulnerable or anything, but I think it's a courtesy to other people because mm-hmm. other people might not be comfortable, uh, you know, with me breathing all over them. Um, and so I maybe you shouldn't stand so close. <laughs> well, that's it. Hey, buddy, <laughs> do you mind? Um, the uh, but you know the idea is you know there are people out there who are vulnerable um, who you. Know, do the grocery shopping and all that kind of stuff. And it may well be that, uh, you know, they are uncomfortable being around unmasked people. So I still wear mine as a courtesy to other people. I mean, I'm quadruple vaccinated at this point. Um, and, you know, who knows what new, you know, who knows, maybe I'll get a monkeypox vax next. But the, um, you know, so I'm, I'm as protected as you can be. And I don't live a cloistered life. I'm, I'm starting to go out carefully to events. You and I were at an event last month uh, together. We sat That's at right. the same table. Very nice. As far as I know, no one keeled over as a result of the dinner, but but everyone at the at the dinner had to show proof of vaccination because um, we still do that kind of stuff. But the, you know, travel is one of those is is really the last bastion of 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 masking and and vaccination passports for a lot of Canadians. And you know, there is science that says that, especially with with Omicron. Um, being in enclosed flights uh, and or trains uh, for prolonged periods of time with a bunch of strangers uh, is risky. Um, you know, it certainly it's much more heightened risk than the normal. Uh, some people are prepared to accept that. Some people aren't prepared to accept that. So, you know, the conservatives at this point, they're just trying to angry up the base and, you know, bring in motions that they know are not going to pass. Uh, so, you know, they, they want to say, uh, you know, drop all restrictions, you know, everyone go, go anywhere. You know, I had a, I had a, a, a tweet the, uh, yesterday, um, Dr. Jordan Peterson oh, uh, was, was yet yeah, who, who, who was on Twitter, although he, 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 uh, he, he quit in a huff, like, you know, like 10 days ago or something, and he's still on Twitter. So that, that, cause that's where I saw him. He was complaining. He's blaming Justin Trudeau personally, because his father couldn't go to his, granddaughter's wedding in California and you know I kind of pointed out the United States won't let you in unless you're double vaccinated um so is that still the case it is still the case I looked it up I had I looked on both the embassy's uh, website and on the um and, and the, the state department's website hmm. so or nationals still need to show proof of vaccination to get into the United States um so the fact that we won't let Jordan Peterson's father on an airplane really has nothing to do with the fact that the Americans wouldn't let him off the airplane at the other end. Um, but, you know, but, you know, this is, you know, our freedoms. 
there are countries that have dropped the uh, restrictions. I know um, I, I'm on a bunch of interesting mailing lists. I know the government of Austria sent me an email saying that they no longer require visitors to um, to show proof of vaccination. So some, you know, it's kind of patchy, which ones you are and where you're connecting through and what carriers you're on and all the rest. But you know, there there are still lots of places that that require you to show proof of vaccination to get on an airplane. Um, or to enter the country or to leave the country. Canada is has always been one of the more cautious countries. Um, well, I mean, we're the currently the only country in the world that still bans domestic travel for unvaccinated citizens. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, not not in the, not in your own personal car, but if you want to take any kind of uh, paid transit uh, or transportation, you have to be vaccinated. And other countries, every other country, has dropped that as a requirement. For some reason, we haven't. And if I if, if it looked like we were getting um, results uh, that showed that the, the pandemic was was growing substantially again, that hospitals were again facing trouble in keeping up with uh, the, the the amount of medical care that's required uh, increased because of COVID. If if those situations were active, I could understand Canada's caution. But they're not. And even uh, Theresa Tam said that uh, case, the cases of transmission on aircraft are extremely rare. Um, and that uh, airport, uh, that ventilation on planes is actually, in her words, actually really good. Um, I'm not sure why we're still, because at this point, we've got to accept that this, that, that COVID is, is not going away. This is, and we've said this for a long time. This is it's gone from pandemic to endemic. It is something that is just going to stay with us. And those who were um, unfortunately vulnerable, uh, I'm going to have to take uh, the precautions because we, people no longer will. Um, in general, the general public just no longer will. Uh, so I, I don't understand the the reasoning behind standing by these very strict restrictions at this point in time it, it they seem out of step yeah and for me it always comes down to the science uh, and the problem is we, we we have stopped you know and mostly this is this is provincial rather than than federal but we've stopped testing we've stopped contact tracing we've stopped all those sorts of things that would give us the information that we need to know to, to know whether or not this is a problem. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that the conservatives were clamoring about closing the borders, um, you know, and, and beating up the government for, for not having closed the borders fast enough. And you were letting in all these, these, these dirty travelers who were, you know, bringing their germs with, with them. Now we, you know, there's some r random testing at the airports now of people coming in. But uh, it's, you know, it's, we've really fallen down in terms of our oversight when it comes to the science. And I'm not sure what kind of numbers are available to the decision makers at this point. You know, do the conservatives have access to the scientific data that would uh, tell you whether or not it's, it's the right time to do this or not? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure absolutely not. I mean, this is a political decision, not a scientific decision, but we have no way of knowing whether or not the government's position is supported by the science at this point or not either. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm open to be convinced at this point. Um, I don't think putting your head in the sand about the risks is, is ever a good idea, but we have no idea at this point what the risks are, except for the fact that other countries seem to be comfortable with the risk. I guess we've got to, we, we've got to determine, like, there's never going to be no risk. That's the thing. It's never going to be no risk. And we've got to come to some consensus as to what level of risk is considered acceptable, uh, as we do with so many other things that involve our safety. What level of risk is considered acceptable? Uh, I don't think that we're looking at that yet. Uh, I don't know if government, the government is in private examining this uh, and we're just not privy to it, but we're going to have to accept at a certain point in time that there's going to be risk and we're going to have to accept that risk and that's going to be the new normal. 
and I've got, I've, you know, I've got some late, you know, end of the summer and early in the fall, I've got a couple of overseas trips uh, that, uh, that I probably have to make. And, you know, I'm, I used to fly at the drop of the hat. I mean, I don't want to talk about a jet, jet set lifestyle. My job made me uh, travel a lot. And, you know, it would be, I'd get a phone call. It's like, yeah, can you be in New York tomorrow? It's like, okay, yeah, I can do that. It's like a bus ride now. So I traveled an awful lot. And, you know, air travel is, is, is not fun at the best of times. Um, you know, these days it's, it sort of has the, uh, the, the appeal of a Greyhound bus. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you, you know, I'm old enough to remember when it was actually an occasion and it was fun and it was elegant. And even, even in economy, it was, you know, it, it was not too bad. I don't listen. Um, it changed. It all changed uh, after September 11th, 2000. Yeah. Uh, now- it, it just started getting worse and worse and less and less comfortable and cheaper and cheaper uh <laughs> yeah. as far as the what, what you the value you get out of the flight you know it, it i remember when they would you would get meals and they would you would choose in advance what meal you wanted oh and you get bring you the, the metal meals. cutlery yeah yeah you would i mean and now you, now they you buy, walk up and some oreos oh they have a bucket of fish and they throw it at you if you're lucky and 9-11 allowed air, airlines to treat their customers the way they've always wanted to treat them but they couldn't because of you know because of their expectations and that, what 9-11 did was it it destroyed all the expectations of the travelers and then allowed you know, the uh, you know all the airlines to ratchet down their service accordingly and save and save the money um and and, and just turn it into another you know terrible commodity but you know i've got travel in my future and you know i'm I'm still having trouble kind of picturing it uh just because you know it's it's been so strange for the last little while um you know i suspect that the 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 federal government will lift the the uh the restrictions on travel domestically certainly um probably fairly soon um, I, I'm, I'm sure they don't want to do it on a conservative motion uh, for, for, for obvious optics reasons. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but, but it may well be, you know, we haven't seen a new variant, you know, of, of concern of COVID that we know of for, uh, for a while. There's been a couple of minor ones that the, uh, that the lab in South Africa has identified. But, you know, there hasn't been a major variant um, and another, you know, terrible terrible outbreak but again we've stopped testing we've stopped kind of paying attention so you know who who the heck knows you know it's interesting the person who put forward the motion uh conservative mp melissa lanceman um well one of my favorite people oh she uh <laughs> she, she definitely has leadership ambitions you can tell and i find her i i have found her very distasteful um that whole business when they claimed the conservatives claimed and she she joined the claim that prime minister trudeau uh, accused her of uh supporting nazis which he did not and the text of what he said very clearly did not have him say that about her uh but she jumped on the bandwagon and claimed i am the descendant of, of holocaust survivors and he accused me of supporting nazis which wasn't true and to me was cheap political circus. And so to me, um, uh, that told me what I need to know about the character of this person as a politician. Yeah, and it, it tells you that her actions are, are automatically suspect. I mean, she's sort of a, a pure palaver without the charm. <laughs> uh, wow, now there's, <laughs> now there's a comment. <laughs> there you go. put that on a campaign brochure. <laughs> um, speaking of campaigns, yes. we're, we are in, you know, I don't know who's li- when you're listening to this, but while they we're recording this, we're in the dying days of the Ontario election. And as you alluded to at the beginning, it's people just don't seem to care. We're kind of sleepwalking through it. I mean, yeah. which is which is odd because there's a lot online this election. And, you know, there's there's certainly polarizing figures and issues. And, you know, you, you'd have to hook it up to a car battery to, to put some 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 life and enthusiasm into this thing. Well, you, it's interesting because there are some really big stakes about the vision for Ontario and for Ontarians in this election. Um, the, the liberal platform has been very interesting. It's promised some very interesting things um, that would affect the lives of, of Ontarians. Uh, in my view, in a positive way. Uh, but this isn't an election about, about policy. 
Um, people just don't care. People, no. I mean, it's it's summer. It just started to get warm. Um, people are exhausted by politics. They're exhausted by the fighting that uh, has come about as a result of the uh, the motions or the measures necessary during the pandemic. Uh, people are just exhausted and they just don't want to think about it. I mean, I don't know if that turnout is going to be particularly high. Um, and low turnout always benefits the incumbent. The fact that people are willing to reelect Doug Ford, who has shown himself to not be up to the job. He hasn't grown in the job. He he's still... I don't think he even likes the job. I mean, yeah, the job, the work yeah. part of the job. I think he, you know, he likes the title and he likes, you know, being able to hand out goodies to his friends. But I don't think he likes the work. I mean, I think he act, you know, he actively avoids the work. Um, you know, he'd rather be at the cottage. Uh, which, which isn't, you know, I'd rather be at the cottage too, but, you know, I'm not the premier of Ontario. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, he was, he, he was, he was AWOL uh, just, to, just this last uh, weekend. He was, you know, missing from the campaign trail because, well, he's been running a, a peekaboo campaign too, you know, as a front runner, you don't want to uh, get yourself out there too much, but the extent to which they've hidden him uh, during this campaign and uh, and his candidates, you know, some of his candidates have publicly complained that they got um, notices from the central campaign office that uh, they sh their candidates, uh, their conservative candidates, should not attend all candidates meeting. They were they were directed by the central campaign: do not attend all candidates meetings in your uh, in your communities. Um, so you know that one of the reasons this has been so low key is the conservatives are nowhere. Um, that's that's one reason. Um, you know, I, I, it was surprising to me that the Toronto Star did a front page article, uh, an interview with Doug Ford talking about how he's changed and, and grown during the, his, his premiership. And it was, oh, it, it was a, uh, an advertisement. And this in the, in the Star, the supposedly uh, liberal mouthpiece, was giving a, a, uh, a puff piece to Doug Ford right on the front page yeah him wearing you know kind of a sweater with a little pipe and uh, you know looking looking like uh, mary tommy shanks from sctv uh, <laughs> just uh, it uh in this in the start uh, you know i think quite rightly caught a lot of flack for for the puff piece like, like you said uh i don't know if that reflects the new owners who are uh you know known conservatives um the uh you know but you know they they claim they're going to keep the market niche that the star has carved out for itself as as a uh, as a progressive left-leaning uh publication but that piece you know i know that they lost subscribers over it they certainly got killed on social media for it um and it really was a a, a jarring clang um of a piece like you said it was a love letter to him from from a source that traditionally would be roasting him on a spit yeah, very. It, it's very disconcerting. You know, people talk about left wing control of the media. They they clearly don't know I what wish. they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, the, the media is is so whole, almost wholly owned by conservative leaning companies in this country. Well, today, uh, uh, major uh, media. As as we're talking today, uh, you know, Doug Ford was in Ottawa for the very first time during this campaign because I, I I'm pretty sure he's not convinced that Ottawa actually is in Ontario. He certainly wasn't convinced that way when the, uh, when the trucker convoy was, was happening. So he held a presser on the roof of the post media building in Ottawa, uh, you know, the national citizens, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the national uh, post, uh, national, uh, uh, not national, so the, uh, the Ottawa citizens, Ottawa which citizens. is, a, which is a, uh, a, a, a post media publication. He, he literally held it on their tar papered roof. Um, and, and and you know the, the metaphor is 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 striking that you know that that's the only place where he can safely avoid the crowds and not have any tough questions and you know the cozy connection between you know the, uh, the post media and and, and you know, which includes the sun chain and a whole bunch of others uh, and and the provincial uh, conservative government you know what's disturbing is that now it used to be that uh they would try to keep they try to keep those connections um, a little amorphous so they could be denied. Yeah. Now they don't even try to deny it anymore. Like it's right out there. They're no longer uh, trying to seem unbiased. They're, it, it's all a matter of whose team you're on. It's, uh, it, it's not a, a good service to journalism when we've got a situation where the, 
the Ottawa Citizen, a, a post media company, is the host location for the uh, conservative campaign event. It, it, it's, it's just bad optics. It leaves a bad taste in the mouth. And people nowadays are just no longer willing to, to, to bend to the rules of civility and propriety. They just don't care anymore. And you know what? They're finding a rabid audience that supports them in breaking down uh, all sense of propriety. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the connection now between the newspapers and social media, too. I mean, you know, the social media tends to, uh, you know, tends, tends to like the, uh, the comments uh, uh, on the uh, comment pages, you know, the few publications that still allow those things, you know, they skew towards the, you know, the angry and the aggrieved. And a lot of those uh, tend to be conservative voices. And, you know, that's sort of now the tail wagging the dog, the, uh, you know, the clicks that they're getting on, on Twitter and Facebook and whatever else uh, reinforce you know, that uh, being overtly conservative um, is, is, is popular and builds their readership, which, you know, at the end of the day means money for them. And it's this new kind of conservatism, which is uh, at its core, very uh, bullying, uh, very aggressive. Uh, very rejectionist. Um, it, it's just there's a nasty edge to it. There's a degree to which it exists solely to drive the people they don't like crazy. Um, you know, you look in the U.S. Uh, that whole nonsense about the stolen election. Um, I don't know that the number of Republicans who say in response to polls that they believe the election was stolen actually believe that. I think that's just become a loyalty oath. Yeah, um, absolutely. They're afraid to say otherwise because yeah. they're, you know, they, they will become the next target. Yeah. So it's a loyalty oath that indicates you're, you're on the team. And it, it's just disturbing because there's, there's no place for objective discussion in anything anymore. There's, it, it's, it's all looked at from the point of view of where's the source, which of course you need to question the source of something. And Increasingly, you can't find a source that you think can be at least partially objective. No, it, it's true. And, you know, and, you know, there are some columnists who are certainly more objective than most. And, you know, and, and you know, you and I have been around journalists and in the media business long enough to automatically sort of put those filters on whenever you read anything. Well, you know, I don't expect a columnist to be objective. They're there because they've got an opinion. But yeah. you do hope that they're going to relate facts and then base their opinion in those facts, or even spin yeah. the facts, but the facts are there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, they, you know they, we may have a different interpretation of the facts, but you know, they don't, like you say, they don't distort the facts themselves, as opposed to, you know, making up stories, you know, wholesale out of, out of untruths, um, which, you know, gets clicks because, you know, hot, hot news, you know, we haven't had a chance to check it or fact check it, and we'll issue an apology later or a retraction on page 15. But uh, yeah, at the moment, this is what everyone's talking about. And sometimes that stuff turns out not either not to be true or to, you know, have a you know, much deeper story on it that nobody's bothered to look into. So it's, you know, it, it, it's very, it's been difficult. And during this election, I say, uh, we've had so much going on between the war in Ukraine, you know, just recently, the tragic shooting of the school children in Texas. Uh, there's been lots of stuff to push the election off the front page. And I think the conservatives are thrilled to be pushed off the front page because, you know, th their, their record in government has been, been you know, terrible, quite frankly. I mean, you know, they've mishandled, uh, bungled or, or deliberately done some, some pretty terrible things over the last four years. Uh, you know, there's, you know, there's lists, we don't have to go through the lists, but there's, uh, you know, there's you know, all kinds of stuff from the way they've handled the autism brief. Uh, you know, the, the waiting lists, you know, the, the cutting from education, the cutting from health care, uh, the, um, the overriding of environmental assessments in favor of their developer friends by using, uh, using uh, you know, MZOs constantly to, uh, you know, to 
to, to bypass the entire uh, review process, both municipal and environmental. Uh, you know, this, you know, there's been this kleptocracy in, in power too, you know, the rewarding of friends and the hiring of friends and the hiring of unqualified people uh, to do things. Uh, you know, they started off by, by gaming the, uh, the city of Toronto's municipal election in the middle of things. Um, you know, that was their sort of their opening move in order to cut down what they saw as a, a left-wing city council. I mean, it, but all this stuff, you know, and the pandemic response as well. You know, I don't blame any government for, for the pandemic, but, you know, how you respond to it, you know, the provincial government had this terrible pandemic response, you know, led sometimes by the premier saying like, well, you know, if I were you, I might wear a mask, but, uh, but, you know, but go out and enjoy your, your, your weekend and party with your friends. And, well, that was the, the go and enjoy spring break comment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, as a result, the numbers spiked. And then, you know, what they do is they sit on the scientists and sit on the data um, and, uh, you know, try to try to torque the data, you know, the, the way conservatives love to do, whether it's monkeying with the census the way Har Harper did, because it was showing them stuff that, you know, that they didn't want, or getting rid of, uh, you know, groups that, you know, their jobs or functional jobs are the oversight of government. Um, you know, well, we don't want to hear that. So we're going to fire all those people too. The four governments had this terrible record, but Aside from a couple of sort of interest groups sniping from the side, I, you know, the liberals have got a couple of uh, commercials that are running right at the end of the election right now, reminding people of some of the cuts, some of the, the mishandlings, uh, you know, the, the long term care uh, home brief alone should disqualify this government from from reelection. But at the moment, the projection, according to, to poll tracker at the CBC's poll tracker is, you know, you know, Ford is sitting right now at 67 seats. They're predicting 75 seats for him as as the likely outcome. So he's likely to gain, you know, eight seats um, as opposed to being punished for for the record. It's, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, <laughs> what it, it's really, really disheartening for anyone who's actually an active uh, viewer of, uh, of, of how things have gone the last little while that, you know, that, that Ford and company would be rewarded because people are either not paying attention or they're falling for the folksy get her done um, peekaboo campaign that the conservatives have been running. I think some of the blame also uh, lies with the opposition parties. Um, Andrea Horvath uh, should have been out of there before this election. She has been uh, soundly rejected by Ontario uh, when she when when her the NDP fortunes appeared to be at their peak. She was rejected. People don't like her. It's time for her to go. Um, the Liberals need to keep in mind when electing their next leader. Um, something to do with charisma and, per and, and personality because Del Duca may very well be a good, a good guy and a good MP and maybe a good minister, but he doesn't engender any enthusiasm among supporters. And we're in an age where personality trumps policy and you really need to have somebody who people see themselves in. And I don't think people see themselves in Stephen Del Duca. He is not dynamic. He doesn't. He, he's not uh, telegenic. He 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 doesn't have a presence like you need to have. Uh, so liberal policies, which are really great, and I think Ontarians, the majority of them, would embrace, are kind of falling by the wayside because you the, the person supposed to be getting attention for them is not somebody who can get any attention. Yeah, and you know, and this is where the real difference between someone who's good for the party and someone who is electable comes in, because you know, Stephen Del Duca, uh, he, he's very much a policy wonk. He 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 likes the policy, and and it shows the liberal platform, as as it's been you know rolled out, is a, a well thought out and very deep platform with you know covers just about everything, but. People don't read policy. You know, a couple a couple of, of journalists will read it, um, but policy platforms don't really excite people that much, um, no matter how full they are. But but he is a he is a policy guy, so you know, obviously, the policy comes first and foremost. I know he uh, you know he he's, he's said to have you know the Liberals you know, were reduced to seven seats in the last uh, last election and uh, were in debt. And apparently the party, uh, he was able to fundraise the party out of debt. 
And, you know, again, according, if you're listening to the CBC poll tracker, they're saying that uh, the Liberals will probably get uh, 24, 25 seats in this election, up from seven. So, you know, that's tripling your numbers plus. Um, yeah, but I think you could put a potted plant there and yeah. get the same numbers. It's it's people who fell into the rejection of Kathleen Wynne and all that propaganda oh, last yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, they Liberal vote was returning to the fold. Yeah, and you know, and liberals were tired and creaky in the last thing. You know, you know, Kathleen Wynne, um, you know, she she inherited the, the poison chalice from uh, from uh, McGinty, uh, McGinty, and you know, and part of it is they've just been around too long, and you know, you just accumulate dust when you've been around that long. So it was really, you know, it it was too bad, but people were ready for a change, and unfortunately, the change they got they got was Ford. Um, and, you know, the, and the popular vote seems to be coming back, too. As a matter of fact, right now, the Liberals are polling at more popular vote than the NDP, um, even though they seem to be tied for about 24 seats each projected at this point. Uh-huh. The Liberals are at about 27% of the popular vote, and the NDP has slipped down to 23.5% of the popular vote. And they're going to probably going to go from 39 seats down to about 24, 25 again, which is, you know, is, is, is a major loss. Um, and just shows what you were talking about, that, you know, they're not offering anything new. It's the same old leader. It will be her fourth time out. And, you know, she's just not firing any enthusiasm at this point. Now, we, we need to recognize that we're now in an era where you need a showman, um, you know, of, of, of any gender. Um, you need somebody who brings some star power. Now you look at Ford and think he's like a bumpkin. What is he? And that's what he brings to people. He makes people feel good about themselves because he's there. He's a bumpkin and a bumbler and they are too. Um, and they can relate to that. They feel comfortable. They, they understand. It's the old George W. Bush thing. Who's the candidate you want to have a beer with? Um, and Overwhelmingly, I think people think Doug Ford would be more fun. Certainly, I wouldn't want to have a beer with Andrea Horvath. Um, Stephen Del Duca, maybe, but I'd probably be looking at my watch um, the whole time. And the liberals need to recognize we're in an era now where policy wonks just aren't going to cut it. Yeah. And, you know, during the leadership uh, campaign, I mean, I thought if the liberals were going to take a chance, on on a, a leader, uh, you know, I was like Mitzi Hunter. Um, I did know. too. Yeah, and you know she was she was elected first. I she's been around for a while, 2013, I think. Um, she's the writing of Scarborough Guildwood. Uh, she's a she's a, a black woman. Um, which you know you know say what you like. There are still parts of Ontario where that may not be a selling point, but I you know I I like. I thought she, I've seen her in person a couple of times. I've never, never met her personally, but, uh, you know, she has good stage presence and well-spoken and, you know, can talk politics, but she's, I, you know, I get the sense that she's a really good bare knuckle politician as well. Um, you know, and, and having a black woman as the leader of your party, uh, that would certainly, uh, you know, you know, cynically would certainly play well in, in, uh, in, in the urban writings. You can do so um, well for the green party. Yeah. Um, now that you could say, yeah, well, I, I, I think that was individual. a personality problem, <laughs> um, but you know what? The thing is that nowadays people are so riled up by this nature of this idea that anytime there's any representation of anything that isn't white, it's just the people bending to this woke ideology. Yeah. Well, you know, th- that it's, it's supposedly tokenism and, you know, but like I say, and that's why I pointed out, she's been, a, you know, she, she was elected in 2013, reelected in 2014, 2018. Doesn't, it doesn't uh, matter to the general yeah. public. They'll see a black woman. They'll say the liberals are trying to be woke and, yeah. because everything now <clears throat> where uh, people of color have earned their positions, um, people are turning around saying it's just the company being woke and they're not respecting the hard work these people of color did to get where they are. They're just being rejected as a woke hire. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and no one cares that Missy Hunter, uh, you know, is a graduate of the uh, the Rotman School of Management or any of those other things. That you know, they, uh, you know, the 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 unenlightened look and and like you say, just go, oh no, this is just this is tokenism, um, just to, you know, just to show how, uh, like I say, how woke they are. But yeah. I'm not sure those people are your are your voters anyway. Um, you know, you want to you want to you, you want to bring people into your tent instead of pushing them away. But there's some people that you know maybe 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 you want to push away. Um apparently not the conservatives <laughs> there's no one they seem to want to push away. oh no 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 they're they, they're uh yeah they uh they are a very big tent Let's yeah they're out rousing carnies yeah um, well it's sort of like a, a circus tent you know lots of clowns yeah <laughs> um last thing i want to talk about oh and and i mean as, as a closer there um i don't think either one of us is expecting anything other than a conservative government though i suspect you would as i are hoping they be held to a minority, but I, that's not looking like the case right now. No, no. And as a closer to your closer, the uh, the one thing I wanted to mention were the other conservative parties, uh, which are a oh, little yes. bit of a, a little bit of a wild card. There's the New Blue and the Ontario Party. The and New both, Blue, I got a we got their their brochure. They are insane. Well, they're both insane. <laughs> I didn't check the Ontario Party one, but the New Blue one is insane. First of all some of their promises look like they're mimeographed from a Republican flyer. Like mm -hmm. they're going to stamp out uh, critical race theory and gender identity theory from school curriculums. Sure. We, that's an American issue. We don't have that here. No. Uh, you know, it, and they, they want to bring in basically charter schools. They want to destroy the public education system. It's, you read this thing and they're insane. Like yeah, they're both, clearly both. insane. Both New Blue and the Ontario Party are right-wing um, Christian fundamentalist parties. You know, so you know they've they've got that going for them. Um, but you know the interesting thing is that uh, that other parties, you know, other than Green, other than Liberal, NDP, Conservative, other parties are polling somewhere around six percent, which just puts them one percent behind the Greens. Mm -hmm. And I suspect that that is these really right-wing parties nipping at the heels of Doug Ford. Because if you're, you know, I'm not sure if it was the Ontario Party or the New Blue, but there, if you go to their website, it talks about the excesses of Doug Ford's liberal government. Liberal government. Um, that you know they consider him way too too liberal. Yes, um, in the brochure they call him a liberal loving premier. There you go, and you know most of the liberals I know would go um, say what, um, but but the thing is you know they are sort of the uh, the Maxi Bernier uh, kind of of um, you know, people's party flavored thing that that will attract some of the nuttier right wing off of the uh, conservative party and you know that may make a little bit of a dent in in the the vote for uh, uh for ford and there are a lot of writings that where the conservatives won by a handful of votes too i was surprised uh, you know i was up at my cottage on the weekend um, which is up in the Bob Cajun area and driving through, you know, um, municipality of Trent Lakes and, and Peterborough and surrounding area, a lot of new blue and Ontario party signs uh, on lawns uh, and not just on public uh, property. I mean, you know, anyone can put them up at, 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 at four mm -hmm. corners. Um, it doesn't represent anybody except for someone who had some spare time. But uh, I was surprised to see on people's lawns, a number of these spoiler right wing parties, um, uh, signs so they actually have a bit of a presence clumped up in a couple of writings that might be enough to tap enough support off of the ford conservatives to allow whatever the the, the next party is to uh, to sneak in so well, you know they, they might be spoilers in uh, my writing there is a new blue candidate with uh, signs everywhere uh, most of them on public but there, there are some on private land um there's a couple of signs from the Ontario party. I mean, pe people are putting money into this. I don't know where the money's coming from for, for the signage and stuff like that. Usually parties that are that fringe, they, pub they, they put a sign that just says the party name on it. They rarely personalize it for the candidate um, unless they've got some money. So there's obviously some, some money going into these far right parties. 
Yeah, well, and you know, the Ontario Party was, uh, you know, Derek Sloan was its first leader, I guess. So, you know, there's, they had some name recognition, although he's kind of, you know, not, not the kind of name recognition I would want. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, they, they really represent an angry right wing um, fringe that doesn't feel at home in the uh, in Ford's Conservative Party, which, you know, I find hard to believe because, you know, they are a pretty, you know, big, uh, big raucous tent. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether this, whether they make a dent or not. I would love it. I, I would love to see that start to happen. Though, of course, should those parties start to gain any sort of traction, you'll see the uh, provincial conservatives making overtures to bring them into the tent and going further right wing. Um, but we'll see. We'll see if they're a factor. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's always sort of the uh, the liberal NDP dream that they're going to be, uh, they will uh, hive off enough uh, support and, and split it the way the reform did with the conservatives uh uh you know early early on in the uh, genesis of the the modern conservative party when uh, you know everyone when liberals got in all over the country because you know the conservative vote was split you know at this point those two parties aren't much of a uh, aren't much of a threat but uh, you know there are a couple of writings where the margins were uh, razor thin and they could make a difference in a couple of them well we will wait and see and yeah. finally um the federal government is talking about new gun control laws. Yeah, just just today, just you know, it's coming off the teletype right now as we uh, <laughs> as we record this. Yeah, the uh, I didn't say ticker tape, at least teletype. The yeah, the uh, the federal government is you know they've talked about it before, and you know you can't help but think that uh, they decided this was a good time to do it in the wake of the Texas shooting. You know, unlike Americans who say this is not the time to talk about gun reform, yeah. uh, Canadians go, yeah, this is the time to talk about gun reform uh, because there's all this public sentiment. Uh, you know, you know, the gun problem in Canada is is minuscule compared to the American gun problem. But the federal government is is moving to freeze the sale of handguns in Canada as part of new legislation um, that uh, that might take effect uh, as early as this fall. It would uh, it would prevent anyone from buying, selling, transferring, or importing handguns um, anywhere in Canada, which is a no a big big change. I'm I'm not certain whether this isn't just political theater. As you mentioned, uh, our handgun crime issue in Canada is, or our gun crime issue is, is small. I mean, compared to the US, that's a bad comparison because they're so overrepresented in that area. But um, is, is there really a problem with legal guns in this country? Um, I would need to see some stats that prove to me that it is. Uh, there is a problem with illegal guns coming in from from the states, but um, that uh, laws aren't going to stop those from coming in. And do we currently have a problem that is worth addressing in this way, or is this sort of populist theater? Well, like I say, a little from column A, a little from column B. Um, right. You know the. Uh, I think the numbers are 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 out there and reasonably easy easy to find. The uh, you know the number of hand you know so you know if you're going back a little bit, 2016 there were 130 homicides committed using a handgun. Um, you know, it, it, but it's been steadily increasing over the last little while. Um, but how many of those were legal guns? Is the question? Well. You know, every, this is why I always say every gun starts off its life as a legal gun. Um, and that's kind of the problem. You know, they're, they're, no one manufactures illegal guns. They're all sold legally somehow. Now, they may have got into somebody's hands illegally, but, uh, you know, they've either been stolen out of collections or, uh, you know, they've been, been smuggled across the border. Um, there's, you know, there's a, a pretty active trade in them at, at some soft border points. Um, and you know, the, the other thing too, you know, guns are used in an awful lot of suicides. And when you kind of, you know, those numbers, but it's, um, it's, it's the whole legal gun thing is, 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 well, the guy, the, the shooter in Florida, uh, in, in Texas, legal gun, um, in the United States, I mean, there are, and every gun user is a law-abiding gun user until they stop being one uh, and decide to use their gun illegally. And all of a sudden, well, they're an illegal, you know, mm-hmm. they're a criminal, you know, let's say, yeah, but he was a legal gun owner. Um, we've had incidents in Canada too, where legal gun owners have, have 
use their guns ultimately for illegal purposes. Um, will it stop anything? I mean, that's been the argument. Um, you know, it's sort of like, well, if we post, uh, if we post speed limits on highways, will it stop speeding? Well, no, it probably won't stop speeding, but uh, you know, it gives you an aspirational goal, which is, you know, you shouldn't be doing these sorts of things. Uh, you know, murder has been illegal for a long time. We still have murders. Um, just to say that it doesn't necessarily stop, it doesn't mean it's not it's not a, a a goal that we should have. Now, and I should say too, I've been a gun owner. Um, you know, I used to target shoot um, handguns. Uh, you know, I can I can I can strip and oil a gun. Um, I'm I actually there was a trophy in the basement of Hart House at University of Toronto that had my name on it for for a shooting competition at one point. So you know, I'm not one of your your latte sucking liberal elites who's never been around a gun. Uh, guns are a lot of fun. Should guns should people have guns? Probably not. Uh, they're just, you know, unless you're shooting coyotes, they are just, you know, expensive toys. You know, there's a pair of skis. It's a, it's a sea do. It's a something else. Um, you know, it, it's fun at the Olympics. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a skill. If, uh, you know, if you're trying to you know, do what, you know, protect your herd, I guess, but otherwise, what do you need a gun for? There's a lot of people that like it for the same reason that you did when you, oh, know, yeah. when you were younger. Oh, they're fun. Yeah, it's, it, it's precision, it's target, it's a challenge. Um, I just don't know whether this, this ban, it, it, coming at the time that it does, I, it just strikes me uh, sideways as being a bit of theater. But um, I can't argue with your point that fewer guns is still better. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Americans have gone the other way, which is, well, the solution to, to gun problems is more guns. Um, you know, they're saying, well, the, it's not enough that the police have military grade everything, but, you know, they're still afraid to put their lives on the line at the end of the day to, uh, to actually uh, serve and protect. But, uh, you know, now they're saying, well, we should have armed all the teachers. You know, there should be you know, more armed guards in the school. All the parents should have. No, they're, they're talking about reducing the number of doors. Yeah, so you know, well, you know <laughs> that's the, like, like that's the well, issue. Exactly, door didn't kill like, no, it's not. You know, it's not door control that we're really worried about here. That's going to solve this problem. It's actually gun control. You know, the idea that more guns is the solution to too many guns is really not a very good argument. But you know what? There are so many guns in circulation in the U.S. now that even if they stopped stopped selling them, the problem wouldn't go away. The problem oh, in no. the U.S. is. There's the more presence. guns than there are people in the United States. The problem isn't the presence of guns. It's the willingness to use them. It's the low bar that people set for using a gun to resolve grievances. It's uh, the nature, the psychology of the gun culture in the United States. That's the problem. If, if, it, if people didn't feel like shooting someone was part of their, Amer their American birthright, um, then it wouldn't be the same problem. And if Americans trusted each other, Americans don't trust each other, not like Canadians. No. Americans don't ultimately trust their neighbor. And it's a, it's a country that is, doesn't, they don't trust each other. Uh, they're not trustworthy. So they feel that their neighbors aren't trustworthy. It's uh, a country that is just suspicious of each other all the time. And that it, there's a psychology problem in the United States. It isn't so much the, the, the weapons, though, of course, that's a factor. It's the fact that they use them so frequently for so many things and um, that it's, it's an American rite of passage in some places um, using a gun. It's uh, something's wrong there mentally. Amongst the number of psychological problems the U.S. has that are leading it down the road to ruin, that's one of them. Yeah, you know, and you know, Australia had a similar problem, and they they just decided, uh, no, enough of this. Uh, you know, they had a school shooting, and they said, no, we're just going to ban guns, and you got to turn them in, and they did. Uh, people turned them in, and they were crushed, and you know, gun deaths went way way down in Australia as a result. Imagine that. But what you know, historically, it's really interesting. I was reading something where a um, a British official before the American Revolution, so we're talking about you know before seventeen seventy six. 
um, you know, in the mid 1700s, came over to the colonies, to the 13 colonies. And his comment home was at that time, you can't believe how many of the colonists have guns. They're just nuts about their guns. Every house has got a couple of guns and people are not afraid to use them. And the British were saying that 250 more years ago about Americans uh-huh. before they were even Americans. So it's such a part of their culture now. Uh, you know, I've got American relatives, you go down there and not, you know, there isn't one of them who hasn't been held up at gunpoint at some point. Um, it's just part of, like you say, part of their rite of passage, that that sort of violent nature. And, you know, they're in big cities or, you know, they're, um, you know, they're, and they're, they're, they're careful about where they go, but still guns are just part of the fabric of American society. So I don't know how they um, ever come back from it. And I suspect Canada making moves towards making guns harder to buy, sell, import, and all the rest is trying to step back from the slippery slope that the Americans have been on for 200 years, where they're now so saturated in guns that, you know, there's no solution to their problem. And I don't think there is. I don't think there'll ever be a solution to the American gun problem uh, until, you know, they're out of, finally out of bullets, which is not likely to happen anytime soon, because they're never going to in bring in gun control. I mean, they've had Sandy Hook, you know, they've had children shot, they've had churches shot, they've had more children shot, they've had politicians shot. And you go, well, what's going to make the difference where they're finally going to say, you know what, enough is enough. They, there is no enough is enough because there's nothing worse that can happen to them that would ever shake them into doing it. And they haven't done it. So there's just going to be more and more of the same. I think I said on, on Twitter, it's like having an alcoholic friend. You know, you know what they need to do, but they're never going to do it. Um, it's, uh, you know, they are addicted to it and there's no helping themselves. So all you can do is, you know, unfortunately, uh, step back. Otherwise, they're going to pull you down too. And that's the problem with sharing a border with the United States is it's, it's the longest undefended border and it's fairly porous in certain places and guns get in here. But, you know, if we can do something towards the domestic supply of guns, I can't see that as a bad thing. At, at best, it's a neutral thing. If it, even if it doesn't do anything, it still is a, a statement about who we are and who we want to be. I can accept that. All right. Um, Stephen, thank you very much. I'm glad. Oh my, to well, my talk, pleasure. It's great to be back to here. Yeah, we should do this more often. We should do it more and we will try. Um, and uh, Stephen can be found on Twitter at Stephen Lawtons, which is S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-A-U-T-E-N-S. Um, and uh, thank you for listening. Sorry, we've been away for a while. And thank you for those of you who've s- spoken up and said, where are you guys? Well, now we're back. Uh, and Stephen, we'll do this again soon. Very soon, I hope. We'll okay. do a post-election wrap-up and see if any of our, our dire predictions come true. Oh, dear Lord. Okay. I, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> we'll, hope for, we'll hope for the best. We'll hope for the best. He is Stephen Lawton. I'm Stephen Kersner, and this has been Stephen and Stephen.